We're going to begin our uh, series this morning with a video, so turn your attention to the screens again, please. Who am I? Am I what I do? An artist? An accountant? A teacher? A mother? Or am I what I've achieved? An honor student? An MVP? A winner? Am I the things I've done right? Or am I defined by the things I've done wrong? Am I a saint? A sinner? What about what others think of me? Am I all of these things? None of these things? Who am I? How I identify myself determines how I approach life. If I am what I do, I'll always need to do more and achieve more to find my value. If I am what others say, I'll always try to please people instead of my Heavenly Father. But if I listen to who God says I am and embrace His identity in me, I'll find the freedom to live out all He has planned for me. God calls me His child. He says I am wise and restored, that I'm a brand new creation in Christ. I am chosen and holy and blameless before God. He calls me His masterpiece. I am loved by God. He says I am made complete through the grace and mercy of Jesus, my Savior. And when I see myself the way God sees me, I walk with confidence because I trust the one who answers the question, who am I? Today we begin a five-week series where we will look at identity as God views us and from God's perspective and how how to live out of a clear understanding of who we are in Christ. This series will address some of the things that were highlighted in the video. Today's message, identity defined, we look at the topic of sexual identity. And the very first thing I want to say this morning and make abundantly clear is that God deeply and completely loves everyone who wrestles with their sexual identity in any way. And he calls us as his followers to love them as well, to love and to show respect to those who are either in the transgender community or who are wrestling with this issue. It's paramount for us as Christ followers to model God's heart for all people, of course. Part of that loving expression is sharing God's message, God's good plan for every aspect of our life, including our sexual identity. As a matter of fact, we, we would say that we love people too much to not tell them the truth as it's defined by our Creator. Because God's truth is the path to peace. God's truth is the, is, the, is the way to emotional and mental and relational and sexual wholeness. But, but again, I, I stress it. Can't be stressed enough. The truth must be shared in sincere love with respect for the individual. The term uh, gender dysphoria is defined as having uh, discomfort or distress about one's biological sex. It's a, it's a feeling of incongruence between, between who someone is physically and bio, biologically and who they feel they are or want to be. 
And we must keep in mind that it's something that can cause just a significant amount of emotional pain for many people. And, and again, I say it, so Christ, Christ-like compassion from us as Christ followers is vital. A couple of weeks ago in my message, I, uh, I, I picked on Wouter who sits on the end over here, fourth row, just, just, just specifying there just for you, Wouter, saying, I, I said that you could talk to him. I can't remember what it was, but that you could talk to him. I was, I was joking a little bit with, with a bit of serious mixed in there. Well, I'm actually going to say the same thing this morning uh, regarding specifically what my next couple of comments, and if you don't know who he is, I can introduce you later, but he, he and I dialogued a fair bit about this topic over the last number of weeks, months, and uh, he, he, he brought an important word into our conversation. It's the word epistemology. I know, he's smart, okay? Epistemology. It's the branch of philosophy that is defined as the theory of knowledge, especially regarding its methods, validity, scope, and, and, and this is key, and the distinction between justified belief and opinion. Epistemology. Did you catch that? There's justified belief based on facts and and, and verifiable data. And there's opinion, mere opinion. And so then, the, the natural question in this message, identity defined, is defined by whom? Defined by, by whom? By, uh, by, by an all-loving and all-wise God who created us and who designed uh, human sexuality? Or defined by our modern culture with its subjective and changing opinions and feelings? Looking at both, we'll be left with a decision. The issue, or th- this issue, matters a great deal because... The the current cultural message is eroding the foundation of what is biblical truth about identity by God's clear and simple definition. So that's where we'll start. Identity defined by God. And we approach this on the premise and, and the firm belief as Christians that the Bible is God's very word based on his faithful perfect character like we sung about in that awesome third song with those great images of mountains that remind us of how awesome God is. And his word is true like his character and worthy of being precisely followed. It's the best. Genesis 1, 27, first part of 28. Very briefly, I'll reference a few verses from Genesis it says, God created man in his own image. Male and female, he created them. Then, what did God do? He blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. And just to clarify, the word man here is used generically for uh, mankind or human beings. It's a word that, that includes, the original word, it includes male and female as we see in that verse itself. And regarding the phrase, made in the image of God, that is simply a reference. Not that we're little gods, uh, you know, small g. No, it's a reference to uh, the fact that we're created by a personal, relational, and intelligent God to be ourselves personal and relational and intelligent beings. And so like our creator, we're, we're, we're given this 
we have this God-given capacity for meaningful relationship. The image of God. Genesis 1.31 as well. Then God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. It was, he said, very good. Referring back to the male, female. It was very good and everything else he created. God states clearly that his creation, his design, which, which was two sexes and genders, is, is very good. Perfect, actually. And then as if for emphasis, God expresses his, his, his binary creation of the sexes again in Genesis 5, 2. It says, he created them male and female and blessed them. God blesses what he approves of. Both instances, God did what? Once he created male and female, blessed them. That's the pattern and the design that the, that the, that the creator blessed from the very beginning. And then in the New Testament, Mark 10, Jesus affirms this same creation order with his words uh, from the very beginning. Jesus said, from the very beginning, God made them male and female, Mark 10, 6. It's a little backstory, a little backstory for those that may not be familiar from the early chapters in the Bible, early chapters of Genesis, from the Garden of Eden, our first human parents, Adam and Eve, turned away from God and from his loving plan and his loving direction. And by their actions, they said, I don't, I don't care about that. I don't care about God's desire for my life. I'm, I want to do what I want to do. That is the definition of sin. And sin brought brokenness to every aspect of life because the relationship with their creator was broken from that moment by their choice. And, and, and please understand, this, this is very, this truth is very significant regarding our own human and, and sinful uh, condition. Because the, because the consequence of that original sin is passed down generation to generation, just like a blotch on a piece of paper that is run through a photocopier. It is. And that's biblically borne out. Brokenness. In my life, in my heart, in my mind, brokenness because of that original sin. Brokenness, sin passed down. Brokenness to our relationships, to our soul, to our spirit, to our understanding of who, cre who, who God created us to be. At, at the very core of it all, brokenness in our relationship with God and thus to our sense of identity. And, and there are various ways that this brokenness displays itself in our lives, even though we focus on one area today. That original sin is also the source. It's the source of all trouble, of all dysfunction, of all turmoil, of all a sinful thought or harmful attitudes or bitter choices, all confusion, all pain, all sickness. All of it began with Adam and Eve and the choice they made in the Garden of Eden, rejecting God and rejecting the Creator's ways. Absolute brokenness was the result. But thankfully, the story doesn't end there because Jesus, Jesus came to bring restoration and wholeness and healing of all kinds to His human creation. So anything other than how God defines sex, gender, identity is not the loving Creator's plan nor desire for us. Look no further than 
Wikipedia, the final and authoritative word on everything. Wikipedia says that there is a distinction between sex, biology, anatomy, and gender, which Wiki defines as personal identification of one's gender based on an internal awareness. That's not surprising to most of you. It's only recently that this distinction has been put forward because, because biology says something different. The Bible does not make a distinction between biological sex and gender. I mean, think about this for a moment. Choosing gender, choosing your gender based on internal awareness, which, which is the common phrase. You, you, you know it, I'm sure. Even among many in the medical field these days, it's, it's contingent on, on, on how you feel. On, on, something, on something so important, are, are you sure you want to trust your inner self that is subjective, prone to change, emotionally up, emotionally down, uh, firm and, 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 and totally confident and secure one day and indecisive another? Are you, are you, are you sure you want to trust your inner self on on this. And, and not to mention, many times uh, damaged by hurtful and traumatic experiences, which is quite common. And, and also not to mention our inner self, as we just said a moment ago, tainted and, and, and uh, uh, polluted, distorted by sin. Are, are you sure you want to trust your inner self over God's objective truth on something as important as sexual identity? You see, even if you, even if you set aside the objective input of God's word and what the creator says about identity, sex, and gender, you still have the scientific facts of biology to deal with. One writer that I read in my study wrote this. He says, the best biology, the best uh, uh, psychology and philosophy all support an understanding of sex as a bodily reality and of gender as a social manifestation of bodily sex. In other words, gender is not something different than one's biological sex. Now, of course, uh, what, what's considered by different cultures and people, whatever, uh, as, uh, you know, what's considered masculine and feminine will vary between cultures, uh, from person to person somewhat, uh, depending on upbringing or personality. And yet, no matter what our culture says, masculinity and femininity are not negative things to be diminished as our culture tries to do. In, in God's design, they're unique. They're distinct from one another, but they're complementary to one another. And that really is a, a whole other discussion that we won't go... And they, and they track with biological sex as per God's design. And there's studies and examples I could give of that that I found in my reading, but we just don't, don't have time this morning. There's something very important, important to point out here. And that is that in the Bible, we see God's enemy, Satan, who is not a fairy tale figure, but a real spiritual power. Has always been trying since he was kicked out of heaven. And I, again, no time to go into the story. If you got questions, email me. But he, he, was, he, was, 
He wanted to take over heaven and he got kicked out of heaven. He's all, since then, he's always been trying to dismantle and destroy any and every good thing that God has made or given to us. And that includes the design of God's making male and female. Now, are there uh, chromosomal uh, anomalies? Yes, of course, in a small percentage of births, but they're just that. They're, they're anomalies. And there's a, there's a range, as you know, of, of anomalies and, and, and abnormalities physically and mentally in, in some births. But anomalies don't redefine what is the norm. And that standard is held to in, in so many other areas and discussions. But not so much when we talk about identity in our culture. What, what's God's original plan and design? Well, we see it in Scripture, and we've read it from Scripture. So there's that to consider. There's that to consider. And as Christ followers, that's our foundation. That trumps the cultural message that we hear. But then there is identity defined by culture, as we just said. From the first paragraph of a book written by researcher Ryan Anderson, I read, In 1989... The movie, When Harry Met Sally, dealt with a thorny issue. Can a man and a woman really just be friends? Anderson writes, that question may still be up in the air, but Hollywood took on a more fundamental question with the 2015 film, The Danish Girl. The question, can a man really become a woman? Anderson writes, the answer from Hollywood was a resounding yes. His book title is When Harry Became Sally, actually. <laughs> Dr. Alan Josephson, child and adolescent psychiatrist in Kentucky, actually a graduate of, of the U of A in the late 70s, mid-70s, spoke in uh, an expert uh, declaration statement to a U.S. federal court recently. He said this, Changes in diagnostic terminology related to discordant gender identity, so disconnect between biology and feeling. He says, diagnostic terminology related to this were not initiated as a result of scientific information, but rather the result of cultural changes fueling interest groups within organizations. In the face, and we know it to be true, we, in the face of scientific facts, culture is redefining sex and gender in, in ways that do not line up with biological science. And there are an increasing number of examples of, uh, of cultural backlash to, to any disagreement or, or merely reasonable caution that's expressed, even by medical professionals. It, it, it can set off a, a firestorm. Here's a Canadian example for you. The case of a Toronto doctor, Dr. Kenneth Zucker, a psychologist who, who ran the, uh, the Center for Addiction and Mental Health for three decades and directed its gender identity clinic. He's a, he's a frequently cited name on gender study. Dr. Zucker has been at the forefront of developing treatments for people with gender dysphoria. He headed a group that wrote the entry on on the definition, the gender def, uh, dysphoria definition for the, the official handbook of the American Psychiatric Association. I mean, he's in this. And yet still, he was abruptly fired from his clinic December 2015 in Toronto, becoming 
becoming a casualty of a, of a campaign by activists who viewed him as insufficiently pro-trans. Never mind that he had recommended transition therapies for scores of patients over the years, and he had never detransitioned a patient, that is, bring somebody uh, back to their original biological sex. And by the way, one author I, I read about this word, activists, he, he made the comment that uh, many activists are not transgender themselves and sometimes don't even fully reflect the thoughts and positions of, of that group. It's interesting. But... There's an activist agenda for sure. Uh, what did Dr. Zucker do that was so terrible? He was targeted for his belief that children represent a special kind of gender dysphoria and that their long-term, children's long-term well-being may not, in fact, be served by automatically moving them toward sex transition. That's why he was attacked. And... Because they perceived his idea of, of, of caution stood in the way of advancing the agenda, it brought about the close of his clinic. I mean, this, this, this doesn't make sense. And, and again, I do not mean to make light of this, but the, the same child who is given and even encouraged, he's allowed to make such a huge and life-altering decision like changing your gender... Is the same child that wants ice cream cake for breakfast. It doesn't add up. It just doesn't make sense. The World Professional Association of Transgender Health is partly responsible for Dr. Zucker's ousting. That organization objected to something he published in the journal he edited. It was a, a Swedish study. And some of you have probably come across this or, or heard about it, that found substantially elevated uh, rates of suicide attempts and other mental health problems among adults who identify as transgender, even after hormonal and surgical transitioning treatments. Dr. Zucker boldly refused to permit a retraction of that reference. And again, so thus he was attacked and his clinic shut, shut down. That Swedish study, by the way, um, was what they call a, a cohort study, which is a study of a group of people who share a, a defining characteristic and a study done uh, over a, to, to capture a cross-section at intervals over time. So in other words, not, not a narrow and not a, not a brief, not a short sampling. Solid study. That study found that people who have had transition surgery are 19 times, this is tragic, breaks God's heart, 19 times more likely than average to die by suicide. One of the conclusion statements in that study said this, persons with transgender, uh, with, sorry, with transsexualism after sex reassignment surgery have considerably higher risks of mortality, suicidal behavior, and psychiatric morbidity than the general population. Psychiatric morbidity, I looked it up, I had to look it up, I didn't know. It said this, a state of mind marked by excessive gloom. So sad. So sad. And, and there's, there's, there's far more than bullying going on for this to be such an elevated statistic. That, and that's not to say there's not mistreatment of transgender people because there is. And it's completely wrong, completely unacceptable when it happens. But, but it, it does not account for these types of numbers. 
There's some, there's some deep, deep and troubling things going on inside the hearts and minds of these people whom, whom God loves so much. In our culture, there are messages given to children and parents. Young children are sometimes told that whatever they feel they are is what they are. Boy, girl, mixture of the two depending on the day. And yet, children who claim to be in my study, I found that, uh, repeated more than once, children that claim to be transgender in pre-puberty do not end up being transgender when they grow up if natural development is allowed to take place. Studies actually in the range of uh, 80 to 95% of children like that. Parents of children struggling with gender dysphoria are told that puberty blockers and cross-sex hormones may be the only way to prevent their child from committing suicide and often the goal being transition surgery down the road. And yet, and yet all these transition treatments have not reduced the inner turmoil nor the high suicide attempt rate in the transgender community. A, a different study out of L, uh, UCLA, uh, 41%. Suicide attempts in the transgender community, even after transitioning treatment, 41% as opposed to 4.6% of the general population. Astronomically high. This cultural push towards sex transition is not the answer. The answer is not to change one's sex uh, by medical procedure. That, that's, a, that's an attempt, that's a band-aid solution because it actually does not change the biological reality. The answer is to compassionately address issues of the mind and the heart of that person. And as Christians, we must, again, we must offer a loving and truly helpful response to people who experience the very real pain of a profound sense of alienation from their bodily sex. I can't understand what that's like, but I know that our loving God wants to show people the truth about who they are from his loving perspective, and that he, the, he wants to begin to walk with people in compassion toward a healthy and vibrant life and an eternity in relationship with him. Jesus gave his life. Jesus gave his life to make that possible for all of us because we're all broken. And this topic, as always, truth matters. You see, there are some glaring contradictions and inconsistencies in this cultural ideology. And I'll, I'll share just two. They are this. Example number one. Transgenderism holds that the real self is fundamentally separate from the material physical body. And yet, they insist that transitioning that same physical body is essential for personal wholeness. And for discovering one's real self. Doesn't add up. Another example. The transgender movement holds to the idea that gender is an artificial social construct. And yet it attaches the idea of authentic gender identity to those same stereotypical activities. In, in, in other words, transgenderism often denounces... The stereotyping of certain attributes or activities uh, as male and female. And, and of course, some of them are exactly that, mere stereotypes. But, but, but then, they're, they're the ones who say that if a little boy likes to play with a doll instead of a truck, that, oh, there, there must be a girl trapped in that boy's body. 
Again, a, a pretty glaring inconsistency. Under this subheading, truth matters, I want to share three examples. And remember, sharing the truth does not, does not diminish the compassion and the care that must be shown to people with gender dysphoria. And, and I keep mentioning that because it's absolutely crucial. Example number one. One of the core values of the American College of Pediatricians states this. We recognize that there are absolutes and scientific truths that transcend relative social considerations of the day. Now you can tell, based on that descriptor, I'm sure you can imagine that not all pediatricians would associate with that group of pediatricians. Here's what their president, Dr. Michelle Cotella, said. Human sexuality is binary. Binary simply is defined as a division into two groups, male, female. Females, she says, have two X chromosomes, and males have X and Y. Uh, those are genetic markers for the two sexes. For someone who identifies as transgender, she says that's not a problem in their body. Such identities are in the thoughts. Thoughts and feelings, she says, are not hardwired. They develop and may be factually correct or factually wrong. Dr. Cotella talks about the example of how there are people who feel that they are amputees trapped in a healthy body, a normal body. She, she states that's in their mind. And, and such individuals are appropriately diagnosed as having body identity integrity disorder. And then to the point, or, or then to point out the, the contrast, she expresses uh, similar concern for people who choose to have healthy parts of their body removed because they feel they are trapped in a, a wrong gendered body. And she, she, she expresses legitimate concern about, about the inconsistency of, of, of what is acceptable or not in our culture in cases like these. Example number two, Dr. Lawrence Mayer, a scholar in, Re uh, in residence, uh, Department of Psychi uh, Psychiatry at Johns Hopkins University, and Dr. Paul Mc uh, McHugh, distinguished professor of psychiatry, John Johns Hopkins University and Hospital. They, they wrote on the topic uh, sexuality and gender identity. And in their writing, they gave the scientific description of male and female and, and how that lined up with the two uh, sexes in, in all mammals, uh, including humans, also stating that this definition merely uh, requires an understanding of the reproductive system and the reproduction process. In other words, verifiable data from the field of biology. And so during a North Carolina uh, federal court proceeding not too long ago, uh, a Dr. Deanna Atkins referred to that definition as an extremely outdated view of biological sex. In his rebuttal, Dr. Mayer called her statement stunning, as in Shocking that she would say this. He said, I've searched dozens of references in biology, medicine, and genetics and can find no alternative scientific definition. In fact, he says, the only references to a more fluid definition of biological sex are in social policy literature. And that, that makes sense in line with what we see. Example number three. 
in a cnsnews.com article. Again, Dr. Paul McHugh, who's a, a studied transgender people for 40 years, said it is a scientific fact that transgender men do not become women. Biologically, he's, he's speaking. No matter what you do. And uh, so is it the other transgendered women do not become men. He says, the idea that one's sexuality is a feeling and not a biological fact is, is doing much damage to families, adolescents, and children. And he says, should be confronted as an opinion without biological foundation wherever it emerges. There it is again, that epistemology word. Justified belief. There's such a thing. And opinion. There's such a thing. Dr. McHugh says, I'm trying to point, I'm, I'm trying to make the point that truth matters and that in all the hoopla of the celebrity flash in the transgender movement, there are sadly many victims. So again, the question we must answer, is identity defined by an all-loving or an all, and an all-wise God who created us, designed human sexuality, and, and who, by the way, has a great and healthy plan for that area of our lives in the context of uh, heterosexual marriage, or defined by this culture with its subjective and changing opinions and feelings. Decision time. There are two key messages in conclusion that I want to make. First of all, to Christ followers, which probably most of us, I'm sure most of us are. You don't have to, you know this, you don't have to agree with someone's behavior or choices to truly, completely love them, unconditionally love them. If that were true, God would love none of us. My wife, who I know loves me unconditionally. If, if, that, if that were true, I mean, she doesn't agree with everything I do. That does not mean she does not love me. So that's a cultural definition of tolerance that can make it difficult, can't it? Because so many of you most of you, I know, if you know Christ, you love God and you love people. You just love them. It doesn't mean that we agree with everything. As Christ followers, we're called, we're, listen, we're called to be Jesus to all people and to show his unconditional love to everyone in every circumstance in life. Now, being Jesus to people, what's that look like? Well, there's a, a neat little description in a verse at the beginning of the Gospel of John, the fourth, uh, uh, fourth gospel, which is the, the good news message of, of Jesus' life and, and uh, John 1.14. See, Jesus came to sinful humanity from heaven. He came to earth from heaven. John 1.14 says simply, he came full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. That's precisely how we must lovingly engage with people in the transgender community or, or those who are wrestling with their identity in this way. To be, to be full, of, full, of, full of grace. 
unmerited favor, loving no matter what, being compassionate, being respectful, being kind, being, uh, trying to understand where they're coming to, asking questions, praying for them, full of grace and truth. Be full of grace and truth in a humble and loving posture. In a Gospel Coalition post, uh, Andrew Walker says it well. He says, only Christians humble enough to recognize their own brokenness will be capable of walking with people through struggles that are very different than their own. God help me, cultivate in me that kind of humble posture. So Christ followers, that's the message. You know people who struggle with this or who have transitioned. Befriend them in Jesus' name. Let them see the love of Christ in you, in your words, in your body language, in your, in your, in your thoughts, in your words about them when they're not around. Love people. Second greatest commandment according to Jesus after loving God. Jesus didn't define which people. Again, you know this. We need the love of the Holy Spirit alive in our hearts sometimes maybe to do this. And that's as, 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 as near as a, a mere ask in prayer away. Some of you might need to do that. Second message, it's to those who struggle, wrestle with gender dysphoria to varying degrees, or, or to those who have, again, already transitioned to the opposite sex, whether, whether, whether you're here or, or listening online, maybe, if that's you. I want you to hear first and most. God loves you. God, the creator of the universe. God loves you fully. He loves you so much that he invites you to come to him. Just as you are. Like all of us. Broken. And, and allow him to bring wholeness to your life. Spiritually, physically, emotionally, mentally. He, he wants to deliver his grace. And his gift of forgiveness to your heart and life. And, and he, he wants to begin as a loving guide to, to, to lead your life, to lead your decisions, your feelings, and to reshape your perception of who you are uh, so that it's, that it's in line, it comes into line with who he made you to be, which is, as he said in Genesis, very good. And that doesn't mean without sin. He wants, I mean, that, that's got to be, that's, I, I hope, that should be hope giving to you because, because he loves you most and knows you best. Since he created you and all. Gender dysphoria, by the testimony of many who've experienced it, is a painful struggle. For people. But, but it's not the only struggle, right? 
Every one of us struggles in various ways. And the good news of the gospel of Jesus is that, 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 that Jesus sees the struggle and his heart breaks for us. And so much so, he loves us so much, he stepped into it for us to lift us out of it. The struggle and the sin. And if gender dysphoria has been a struggle for you to any degree, I want you to open your ears and your heart to words from Psalm 139 in the Old Testament. The writer here is talking to God, the creator, and he says, For you formed my inner parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. And in your book, they, are, they were all written. The days fashioned for me when as yet there were none of them. So before my days began, God creator was, 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 was planning them and preparing them and preparing me and preparing you. How precious, verse 17, how precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. Some of you need to hear that. How precious are your thoughts to me, O God. How great is the sum of them. Some of you need to reread those verses on your own time, and I encourage you to do so. And as you do, be, please be assured that God did not make a mistake on how he created you in your personality, in your looks, in your biology, in any way. And please know that Jesus has the power to set everything right according to his plan and his design as we surrender to him. In the video we watched earlier, the narrator said this, If I listen to who God says I am and embrace his identity in me, I'll find freedom to live out all that he has planned for me. What a powerful statement. So very possible by the grace and power of God. That is. It's a fundamental statement about why this is so important. So if you have not already, I, I hope, I pray that you'll choose the path of surrender to Jesus Christ. And I'll say it again, who loves you most and knows you best and still loves you most and me. In, invite him. I encourage you. I invite you to, to open your heart and open your life and invite him. Invite Jesus into your life and heart today. Ask him to be the forgiver of your sin and the leader of your life. And by faith in Christ and the work he did on the cross, his death and resurrection, he rose to new life to prove his power over everything that would drag us and keep us in the grave and keep us spiritually dead. Jesus' resurrection gives us the opportunity to come out of that. And to come into an eternal and a personal relationship with the God who created us. I pray that you would open your hearts, if you haven't already, to receive Christ in that way into your life today. I'm going to ask you right now to bow your heads and close your eyes. And I'm going to pray a prayer. It's not about these words. It's about what's in your heart. And maybe this is a prayer. Either you're here uh, or, you're, or you're listening online. You can pray this prayer when you're alone in your car driving or wherever you are listening. That, that you, you could say something, express the desire of your heart to know your creator personally by not anything you've done or I've done. It's the work of Christ. And so you would possibly want to pray. 
Father, I thank you for sending your son to die for me. Thank you, Jesus, for coming and taking upon yourself the, 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 the punishment of sin that belonged to me. But you took it on yourself so I could live free and forever in a relationship with the very God who created me. I want that, God. I don't understand all that, but I want that. And so in this moment, I give you my heart and I give you my life and I give you my sin. I repent of it. I turn away from my old way of living, God, in this moment. And I look your direction because you know me best and you love me most. I want to walk in a personal and eternal relationship with you. And I'm trusting in what Jesus did for me to bring me into that relationship now by faith in God. And I thank you in Jesus' precious name. I want you to keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed. Those that are in this gathering this morning, if you prayed that prayer, maybe this issue we talked about isn't your deal, but, but, you, but you prayed that prayer to open your heart to Christ today. I, I would love, not, not to single you out, I won't, but I'd, I'd, I'd love to celebrate with you in a moment and, and just pray specifically for you. If you prayed that prayer, I, I'd love to know by you just raising your hand and looking my direction briefly as we close. Pause for just a few seconds to give you that opportunity. Did anybody pray that prayer this morning that's in this gathering? Would love to celebrate with you. could be that every one of us know Christ personally. And that's phenomenal. But if you don't, what I just prayed is something that you can talk to God about after you leave here today. And I pray that you would talk to God about that sooner than later. So God, we thank you for the truth of your word. Help us to live it out in love and grace. Like Jesus being in every interaction, God, that you give us this week, full of grace and truth. In Jesus' name, amen.